So I want to ask you this. Does anybody find it difficult to receive a gift? Just think about that. There are people on both sides of that. Some people say, man, the more the merrier. Anybody want to give me a gift? Here I am. Sign me up. Give me some presents. But there are others that just really, really struggle. Like, for example, someone invites you out to eat, and they end up taking you to a really, really nice restaurant. And the check comes, and they quickly grab it. And some people just feel really bad on the other side. Like, oh, wow, they bought me an expensive, expensive dinner. I feel bad. And they have a hard time just receiving that. And there are people that oftentimes don't want to receive it. No, 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 you, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that for me. Don't give me anything. And I heard somebody once tell me as I was stuck in that phase, of, well, no, 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 let, let, me, let me be the one who blesses. I don't want to receive the blessing. They said, well, don't rob me of the blessing of blessing you. And I went, oh, oh, and just beat my head against the wall like, wow, that hurt. But that same idea of not being able to receive a blessing, receive a gift, it rolls over and influences some of us spiritually. And it affects us spiritually as we follow Christ. It affects some of us in the way that we view salvation. And this morning, this is what we're going to be addressing. Because I want you to look at a couple uh, passages of Scripture. And I'm going to put them both up so you can see both of them. And I want to see the commonality between these. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you're very familiar with. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then I put up there with it, Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Now look at those verses real quick, but what do you see as the common factor there? Okay, I heard some people say it was God's doing it. God does the work. But specifically, it says what? It's not about your works. It's not about your works. It's about what Christ has done, not about what we have done. It's based upon what Christ did, not based upon our performance. This morning, we're going to be looking at a sermon on the topic of legalism. If you're taking notes this morning, the title is The Pitfalls of Legalism. So let me define what legalism is for those of you going, maybe that's a new term to you. Legalism is pursuing good works with the intention of earning God's favor. That I'm going to do these things hoping that when I do these, God will love me more, God will bless me more, God will whatever, God will do more. It is the idea and the pursuit of good works in order to try to earn God's favor. That's legalism. I want to ask you another question. If we could earn God's favor, someone please tell me, why did Christ have to suffer? Why did he have to give his innocent life in our place if we could just earn God's favor? Why would Christ have to die if we could earn it? though? Because we can't. Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and there had to be one who was perfect to die in our place. And church, I'm here to tell you this morning some glorious news that I know many of you know, but the work that he did, it's finished. It was once and for all. 
It's complete. There's no need to add to it. It's completely done. Christ died and he resurrected from the dead and it is done. There's nothing that we could add to it, nor should we ever try to. But legalism does just that. And it creeps into churches and into believers' lives, and we think somehow I need to do more to earn God's favor. When all I have is because of Christ. All my sufficiency is in the grace of God through Christ, of what He has done. I want to read a quote to you by Trillia Nubel. She said this. She said, when we work hard for God in order to earn His favor, we are not operating with faith. Instead, we are saying that we must add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His work wasn't enough. And therefore, we must work to make him happy. We must take it into our own hands to be accepted by God. Now, when we read that, we think that's, that's ludicrous. That's ridiculous. We know that Christ paid it all. We know that Christ gave it all. That we are blessed through Christ everything. All the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places have been poured out on us through Christ. We know that. Yet, somehow this creeps in amongst us. That I must do more. And I have to do something else to earn God's favor. Inside your bulletin this morning, there's a quote from C.J. Mahaney. It'll also be up here. He's a little more direct to the point. And he said this, Legalism is substituting, in essence, my works for Jesus' finished works. Legalism is self-atonement and the height of arrogance. It's living as if the cross of Christ was unnecessary or insufficient. Now again, I know you and I know that you believe that Christ paid it all. I know that you believe that the, 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 the cost the penalty, the innocent blood that was given was sufficient. But at the same time, there are some of us who struggle with, but I must do more. I have to do more. I have to earn God's favor. This morning, we're going to see an example through our study in John, just this, what legalism looks like in the life of people. And we're going to look at the pitfalls of legalism. If you brought your Bible this morning, I hope you did. We're going to John chapter 5 this morning. We're picking up in verse 9. We'll be reading through uh, verse 16 this morning. Before you stand with me, let's go ahead and pray for our time in the Word. Father, as we open up your Word, Father, we thank you that we do not come here to hear the opinions of any man, but God, we come to study your truth. And Father, as we look at a passage that's so well, it does such a good job at illuminating the reality and the effects of legalism. That God, I pray that you would use this truth to search us. God, to free us from any form of legalism. That we might be those who would rejoice in you. That we would have joy overflowing from your abundance of grace. So God, we ask that you would illuminate yourself more to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, please stand with me and honor the public reading of God's holy word. We are in John chapter 5, starting in verse 9, we read, And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. 
and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So reads God's holy and errant and infallible word. Please be seated, church. To bring you in context, if you weren't with us last week, Jesus has just healed a man who was an invalid for 38 years. Jesus walks in. This man is by the pool of Bethesda. He is waiting according to the superstition that when this water spins, he needs to get in there to be healed. And Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to be well? And the man says, look, there's no one to get me into this water. Every time I try to go, people beat me there. And Jesus says, get up and walk and pick up your mat. Pick up your bed. And we pick up here, as it continues, that man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. And there are the Pharisees, these religious Jews watching, and they see this, and they're only concerned about one thing. It's the Sabbath. What do you know about the Sabbath, church? They're not supposed to do any work. God, as we'll study this morning, gave the Sabbath for man as a blessing to man, not a burden to man. God gave the Sabbath so that we would take a break and rest from all the toil and work. But these Pharisees, these legalistic individuals, were those who liked lists. You guys know the check boxes? See things I could do to see if I, I'm doing enough good deeds? And they would come up a list. And not only were they list makers, they were list givers. And they told everybody else, these are the things you need to do to obey God. God just said, hey, you've got a day of rest. Make it holy. Honor God. Take a day off. How many of you say, hallelujah, that would be a great thing. Just have a day of rest. But instead, they made more burdens for the people. And they made a list of 39 different things. We're going to tell you, they said, of what it means not to work. For example, you can't carry anything. But they came up with loopholes how to do this. For example, if you were on a second story, you couldn't take a handkerchief out and carry it down the stairs. But they said if you tied it around your neck and you walked down the stairs, you're not carrying it anymore. It's part of your clothing. This is true. They said a Sabbath day journey was like a thousand yards you got to walk from your house. After that, it would be considered work. So they said, well, one thing we could do, you would take a rope and go from your house to that thousand yards, put it down. And then that really is the extension of your house. So you can go another 1,000 yards. Loopholes. Or they said, you know what, because you can't go, you can only go 1,000 yards, if you need to go somewhere, just go plan a meal at somebody else's house the day before. And then you can go to that house because that's home. That's where your meal is. And then you can go 1,000 yards from there. The Pharisees were in charge of making these rules and breaking these rules. They were in charge of making the list and then coming up with loopholes of, well, I still made it and let me put a check mark because it still works. I came up with a loophole. 
but they were tying burdens around people's necks. It wasn't about honoring God. It was about self-righteousness. It was about look at me and look how I follow God. It's where we get the term tooting your own horn. That's what they were about. This morning we'll be looking at three points as we look at these verses. Point number one will be legalism hardens the heart. Legalism hardens the heart. Point number two, legalism judges others. Legalism judges others. And point number three, legalism rejects grace. Legalism rejects grace. Let's begin with point number one. Point number one, again, legalism hardens the heart. Look again with me at the opening part of our text this morning, verses 9 and 10. We see this man is healed at once, and he takes up his bed and he begins to walk. And John records, by the way, that day was the Sabbath as this occurred. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, hey, it's the Sabbath. Listen how they address him. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Church, what did they just entirely miss? This man has been an invalid for 38 years. A miracle has occurred before their eyes, but because they're all about the list, the do's and the don'ts, all they say, oh, you messed up. You picked up your bed. They completely missed the goodness and the grace of God. They missed everything because all they cared about was the spirit of legalism. That we got to be by the letter. And church, when you're by the letter, your heart will become hardened. Just as theirs were. One thing you'll see is in a person full of legalism, there's no compassion. When someone's struggling or someone is hurting, there is no compassion. For this invalid, they weren't there concerned that he was an invalid. They didn't care. All they were looking for is, is everybody behaving? Is everybody living according to our standard? But there was no compassion. There was no sensitivity in them. Their hearts were hardened. All they were looking for was the list. But here's the sad thing for those who have their hearts hardened by legalism. There's no love. There's no love for anything except their list. There's no love for anything except their self-righteousness. It's can I look better in front of others? Can I do enough to try to impress God? Church, think about that statement or that question. Can I do enough to impress God? Sad. These people have no joy. There's no joy in anything. It's just looking to see who errs and when they fall to pounce on them. They have no life. They have no passion. There's no rejoicing. No celebrating. Think about that life. Who wants that life? Somebody who has no compassion, no sensitivity, no love, no joy, no real life, no passion, no rejoicing, no celebrating. Someone comes and they're healed. We should rejoice. But it said, oh, you picked up your bed. It's the Sabbath. They're dead. There is no life in them. They are completely hardened because of this list of legalism. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Guess how much is in their life? Goose egg. You guys know the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Guess what? 
None there. Joy? Nope. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look at the end. Against such things there is no law. There's not a list. These are things, the fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God produces in the believer. But when we get our own paper and we go, well, here's the check boxes, we miss everything. When we have a list of the do's and don'ts, do you know there are many people who think Christianity is just a religion of do's and don'ts? Oh, man, why do I want to do that? The Bible? That's just a list of do's and don'ts. No, it's not. It's a love story. It's God's redemption plan for mankind. How God would pour out His grace upon us that we might be able to enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing truth. Legalism hardens the heart. You will know them, the Bible says, by their fruit. Those who come around and all they do is they look, hmm, what's going wrong with them? What can I find they didn't check off the list? And have no compassion for people, no sensitivity. They've been hardened by legalism. Point number two takes us a step further, and it adds to that. Legalism judges others. If you look in the text with me, we read, it says, but he answered them, the man who healed me, verse 11, that man said to me, speaking of Jesus, take up your bed and walk. And look what they asked him. They asked him, okay, so, so who, is, who is that man? Where, where can we find him? Who is the guy that we need to go hunt down? That's all they cared about. Again, completely missing the fact that this man was just healed. It's how do we go and find this man so we can judge him? So we bring judgment upon him. And we continue reading. It says, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as it was a crowd in the place. And afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more. Nothing worse may happen to you. We'll touch on that part in a moment. But the first thing in verse 12, all they care about is point to the guy. Show us who it is. We want to know who told you it's okay to pick up that mat on the Sabbath. We want to go after him. Church, when you are legalistic, here's something you will see. You become and you have a critical spirit. You become very critical. You become very critical of other people. You have a self-righteous demeanor of how could they do that? I keep my checklist. How could they go and do that? So you become critical. You become self-righteous. We call it a holier-than-thou countenance of, oh, how could you ever have done that? And it all comes out in a very condemning manner. And the way we speak to people, the way we belittle them, we forget all about love. We forget all about compassion. We forget all about mercy. We forget all about grace. And it's just condemning. It's legalism. Legalism gets played out one, a hard heart. Legalism gets played out one, or number two, we're going to judge people. Let's see who we can go and can condemn. We read this in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, before we get this out of context, we are to address sin in one another. If someone is living in sin, we're to encourage them to flee from sin. We're talking about an extra list of, oh man, you didn't read the Bible for three hours? Whoo, man, that's bad. You should have read at least three hours today. 
You only spent five minutes in prayer? Oh, wow. You, you should really think about spending at least an hour. It's where we start adding these extra biblical requirements. That somehow if you do these extra things, you are more holy, more spiritual. You are liked by God more. You've earned more favor. It's all a lie. And yet there are people that look to each other and they do just that. They go, oh, you only did this. You only came to church on Sunday. You mean you didn't come to prayer and you didn't come to study and you didn't come to Bible study? Whoo, man. I don't know if God's pleased with you. Gotta be careful when we start thinking these things are adding in God's eyes, favor that I'm going to receive from him. Now, would it be good for us spiritually if we spent more time in God's word? Of course. Would it be well if we spent more time with him in communion and prayer? Of course. Around God's people more? Of course. But when we start thinking that that's a requirement, that somehow doing those things earns God's favor, we're missing it. We're completely missing it. We will be a joyless people. We will be a miserable people. It'll always feel like we have not done enough, that I'm always falling short when the reality is Christ did enough. He did it all. And now we get to enjoy that and walk in that. You know, it's interesting in this text, where did Jesus find this man? Look at verse 14. He found him in the temple. Jesus finds this man in the temple and he comes to him and he says, see, you are well. He goes, go and... Or sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And some people jump on this verse and they use it in all kinds of ways. And they use this right here and they take it in different areas. First, I want to remind you, he was in the temple. This man was healed. Now he got up and he went and he worshiped God. And Jesus finds him and goes, man, you are well. And he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What we can tell from the context is this man being an invalid, whatever his condition was, stemmed from some sin or some pattern of sin that was in his life. Something had led to this condition. Now, church, you know that sin has consequences. I mean, God can free us and forgive us from all kinds of things, but sin has consequences. If you've been a drunkard your whole life, your liver might have some damage. It's just consequences of the sin. Now, eternity, all those could be good with your soul. But your physical body, there could be some consequences. If you were a drug addict, it could be a litany of different physical ailments just from the damage that was done through the sin. So sin has consequences. Those in sexual immorality, I mean, STDs and you name it, they're, they're rampant because of the consequences of sin. We can go on and on, example after example, where sin has consequences. But I want to be clear here that not all negative conditions in life are the result of sin. Sometimes we'll go up to somebody as Job's friends did, said, Job, what'd you do? You had to blow it somehow. You had to sin. Look at what's going on in your life. Look at all these horrific things that have gone on. There's got to be sin. Was there sin? No. He was upright. So we got to be careful when we just say, well, there must be sin. Later on, we'll be studying Lord willing in John chapter 9. Look at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Speaking of Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned 
or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Ultimately, remember, God is sovereign over all things. God knows all things. He doesn't miss anything. He's fashioned all things, and he'll use all things for his glory. So quickly, as we look at this man that Jesus says, hey, sin no more, and we know the consequences that he was an invalid, the result of his sin, whatever it was, was that he was an invalid. Don't be quick to judge people in their sin and say, well, the reason, or excuse me, in their consequences, say, well, you must have sinned. If, you, if your body's failing you, you must be in sin. If, if these bad things have befallen you, it must be sin. Those are not true statements. Only God knows the reality of those things. Again, looking at verse 14, Jesus finds this man and says, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more. See, receiving God's grace and forgiveness does not give us a license to go sin freely. Some people say, oh, God gives us grace? You mean I can be forgiven of sin? Look, the sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross, church, for the believer, he paid the penalty of your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. But some people get that twisted and go, okay, let's go. Let's go send up a storm. They're missing the whole point of it. Martin Luther coined a term called antinomianism, which literally means against the law. Antinomianism is this. It's a belief that there is no moral laws that God expects Christians to obey. It doesn't matter what they do. They're free to do as they please. It means those who would believe I can continue in sexual morality or whatever else because God's forgiven me. You know, we have a lot of people who go to a crusade or something else, see a televangelist on TV, they'll repeat a prayer, and they'll just continue on living as they did before. Antinomianism. Thinking they can just do as they want, they can come as they are, and they can stay as they are. That's the idea of antinomianism. But that is not the truth of Scripture. That is not the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ actually frees us from the bondage of sin. It frees us from the bondage of sin, that we're no longer enslaved to sin. And that gospel that saves us is the same gospel that empowers us to change. It's a great verse, or a group of verses in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. They read this way. For the grace of God has appeared, the grace of God, bringing salvation for all people. And what does this grace of God do? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. Church, stop. Does that sound like we come as we are and we just stay as we are? No, we come as we are and something radically occurs in the believer. That grace should change us. It's not that we're trying to earn God's favor. It's that God has already poured his favor out upon us. And that favor, that grace is now radically working within us. We read another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Many will read verse 9 as a warning to people, but the verse goes on. The passage goes on. Starting in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if we stopped right there, many, many, many of us are in a lot of trouble. Because we fit in at least one of those categories somewhere. But it goes on. And it says in verse 11, Paul writes, And such were some of you. Past tense. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, those who came to Christ, they didn't leave the same way. They were radically changed. That though they may be a drunkard or the sexual immoral, that God did a miracle. They were born again, given a new heart, given a new spirit, free from the bondage of sin. God's grace had changed them and us from the inside outward. It wasn't about a list of trying to make outward change. It was about a change that started from the inside. And that change is the evidence that God has saved us. It is not that we might be saved. It is the evidence that he has saved us. That God has come and he's radically changed me. Church, that is not legalism. That's the truth of the gospel. That God would send this good news, not only as news to the ears, but news to life. That it would radically change us. It would free us that we don't have to say, well, maybe I could do enough good to outweigh the bad. It's done. Christ paid it all. Sin can be completely wiped out based upon the cross. And not only sin wiped out, but all of his righteousness accredited to us. Wow. It's done. John Piper said this about legalism. He said the essence of legalism is when faith is not the engine of obedience. If there's any other reason why you're, you're telling others to obey God or you're trying to obey God, but it's not just faith. It's not just what he's done in your life. It's not a response to him because he first loved us that we would love him. If it's any other reason, it's legalistic. We're free to, to rejoice, to have joy in him, to love him, to enjoy him. Jesus again tells this man, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus says, look, now walk in repentance. Church, do you realize that when God drew you to repentance, that repentance wasn't a one-time deal. It wasn't like a one-time prayer that you just said, okay, God, I repent, and now I'm okay. It's a lifestyle. It's moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, that we continue to live in a manner by walking in repentance, turning to God. He tells this healed man that his life should now produce fruit of repentance. It's not so he could earn God's favor. It's evidence that God has done a work in him. He says, look, sin no more. Then nothing worse might happen to you. What's he speaking of? He's saying, look, if you come as you are and leave as you are, if you resist the grace of God, the irresistible grace of God, interesting. But for those who would just reject it, he says, 
if that man goes right back to the same lifestyle that he came from, he's headed for destruction. And those 38 years of being an invalid don't compare to eternity and damnation. But that was nothing compared to eternal damnation. This is go and live a life of grace. So legalism hardens the heart. Legalism leads to judging others. But lastly, and actually the scariest, is point number three, legalism rejects grace. Church, do you know what grace is? It's getting something you don't deserve. Specifically of God, it's the unmerited favor of God. We don't deserve it. It's grace. It's as though one of my children disobeyed, and instead of discipline, I say, hey, let's go get you an ice cream. That's grace. You didn't deserve ice cream. You deserved punishment. But instead, here's ice cream. God does that same with believers. We deserve the wrath of God for our rebellion against him. But he gives us eternity with him. He gives us Christ. Read with me verses 15 through 16. It says that man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Yeah, I heard some of you like naughty, naughty. These Pharisees are so blinded by their self-righteousness. They're only concerned about the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean by that. The letter of the law compared to the spirit of the law. Think about a speed limit. Why are speed limits even posted? What is the point of having them? For whose safety? The police officers or the judges or everybody's safety. It's posted for our common interests, for our safety. So if I'm a legalist, I drive the speed limit. If it's 65, I boast to everybody, I'm doing 65 on the freeway all the time. 65. But what happens if it starts to rain? What should I do? But if I'm a legalist, guess what? I'm doing the speed limit. I'm doing 65. Because all I care about is the letter of the law, not the intent or the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is safety. But I only care about the letter of the law. It says 65, so I'm still doing 65. Now sleet comes down. Ice is on the ground. But guess what? If I'm a legalist, I'm doing 65. Because all I'm concerned about is the letter of the law. That's what the law says. That's what I'm going to do. But what about the spirit of the law? The spirit would say, slow down. This is about the concern for others. It's about your own well-being, the well-being of others. It's not about the 65 on the sign. It means safety. These Pharisees, all they cared about was the letter of the law. That's why when they saw him do something on the Sabbath, they didn't care that it was good. They didn't care that it benefited this man, that compassion was poured out upon him. All they cared about is, hey, you're not doing 65. You're not doing 65. It's as if there, were, there, was, there was snow on the ground and you slow down to 40 on the freeway, or let's take for us for fog. You ever driven heavy fog? You're not doing 65 on the freeway, I hope, because you could only see 50 feet in front of you. You slow way down, and you're hoping the person behind you is slowed way down too. But imagine someone runs into you and starts screaming at you. Why weren't you doing 65? Look at the sign. 
This sign says 65. That's what the legalist does. They just care about the letter of the law. Jesus had just healed this man. He had demonstrated love and grace from the Father above, and they could care less. All they were focused on was the letter of the law. Here's another example. On a different occasion, Jesus was walking through the fields with his disciples. And the scripture says his disciples were hungry. And they grab some heads of grain and they start rubbing their hands and eating the fresh grain. And the Pharisees say, guess what? It happens to be the Sabbath. And the Pharisees come and accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. We saw you grab that grain, rub it in your hands, eat it. You broke the Sabbath. Well, I like what Jesus said. Jesus said this, I referenced it earlier, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus turns to them and says, um, yeah, but the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I mean, this is supposed to be a blessing for people, but you guys are making it a burden for people. It's supposed to be a blessing. But those who are trying to earn God's favor, no more checkbox, checkbox. Give me as many checkboxes as I can so that I might appear good to others. That I might think that somehow God is going to look down upon me and go, wow, you have a hundred checkboxes checked off today. Extra favor. It doesn't work like that. As a matter of fact, I like what James Montgomery Boyce said about these legalistic Pharisees. He said, they wanted rules. They did not want God's grace. They wanted human, human merit. They did not want the simplicity of divine pardon. They wanted to do something for themselves. There's where the battle lies. Remember we talked about how are you with receiving a gift? Some of us have a hard time. It's no, I can buy my own dinner. I can buy my own thing or that or whatever. It's real hard to receive a gift. What about this? Eternity. Forgiveness. How are we with that? The Pharisees, they reject grace because they want to do it on their own. We can be good enough. What do you think God sees when he looks down upon that? That attitude about just putting together checkboxes, looking how good we can appear to the others. You know, Jesus exposed it. He said some pretty direct words to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, wait a minute. Who said this? This is Jesus. Jesus, who we always look at as real soft and gentle, but guess what? Speaks the truth. Woe to you. Beware, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. These are people only cared about the outward appearance. Let me go stand on a street corner and pray long and eloquently so everybody else can hear me. Oh, look how holy and righteous that guy is. So I can toot my own horn or pat myself on the back. That's what they were all about. Legalism rejects the grace of God and says, I can do this. 
I can do this on my own. Church, legalism is deadly. Legalism is deadly. It rejects grace and tries to stand on its own merit. And no one, no one will make it to heaven based on their own merit. Nobody. If that was true, then as we'll read a verse, Christ died in vain. There was no point for Christ to die if we can do enough good. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, we read, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but they are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Look at the last part. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What does that mean? It means we're all guilty. Jesus says, look, if you break one of the commands, you've broken them all. We have all broken God's law. And we're all needy recipients of his grace. There's no other way. Five verses later in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 says, Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If there was any other way, Christ would not have to die. Do you remember when he pleaded with the Father? Father, if there is any other way, please take this cup from me. There was no other way. There was no other answer from heaven of, well, just tell the people to be good. Just, just give them a list of, of check off these, this list and you'll be okay. There was no other way that an innocent man, a perfect one, must die in our place. There was no other way. We've already studied in John chapter 1, verse 17, that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace comes through Jesus. So the question is, what then must we do? If it's not about a checklist of do's and don'ts, then what must we do? John chapter 6, verse 28 through 29. Here's the question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God. That you believe in whom, in him whom he has sent. Who's that? Jesus. That you would have genuine faith that Christ has come and paid the penalty. It is full, it's complete, and it's sufficient. That we don't have to try to add to it. We cannot add to it, nor should we try to add to it. Church, if we come to the point where, where this legalism creeps in, we're no longer a people who rejoice. We're no longer a people who have joy in the Lord. But we're weighed down just like the Pharisees of, oh, I must do more and I have to check off another box. But to enjoy the grace of God, to enjoy what Christ has done, that we would be those who would receive His grace, that we would be those who would love Him because He first loved us. I want you to think about that week leading up to Jesus going to the cross. Betrayal. We start with betrayal. Everybody departs. He's accused of false things. He's slandered. He's mocked. He's stripped. He's ridiculed. He's beaten. He's spit on. 
It was a long wait. All the way up. He had the people that before a week earlier were saying, Hosanna in the highest. And all of a sudden it turned to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He would go from being mocked to going and hanging on a cross where the mockery continued. If you are the Christ, then save yourself. Come down from that cross. Even those who would be hanging next to him would mock him and ridicule him. And yet from the cross he would cry out, It is finished. Church, what is finished? What is finished? What was done on the cross? Your eternity. The opportunity for you to be forgiven of past, present, and future sins. The opportunity for you to receive the righteousness of Christ. The opportunity for you to enjoy God and to glorify Him forever. It was all done on the cross. It's not based upon our performance. It's based upon what Christ has done. And if we truly know Him and have submitted to Him, guess what? We will walk in desire to obey Him. But some of you have learned that, man, it's not perfect. That, that there's bumps in the road where we struggle. But guess what? It is finished. We don't need a list of, here's all the do's and don'ts I found in the Bible. Go do them. Instead, I'm to keep my eyes fixed upon the goodness of God. Keep my eyes fixed upon the grace of God. And know that now I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm now a new creation in Christ. God has given me a new heart and new desires. When we look at these points this morning, have any of those points identified anything maybe that is in your life? Has your heart become hardened? That there's no compassion for others? There's no love for others? Those who might be weaker in the faith? Those who struggle? Have you come to a point where you're no longer celebrating in the Lord? You're no longer rejoicing in the Lord, but everything is weighted down. You feel like there's just do's and don'ts. Have you been become prone to being critical of others, judging others, instead of having compassion and loving and helping others? Because this morning, church, it's time to put legalism to death. It's time for us to receive the wonderful reality of God's grace. God's grace is a beautiful thing. We're all in need of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are needy recipients of the grace of God. And that we're to walk in Christ, to rejoice in Christ, that the work is finished. What was our response? When the gospel came to us, it was told to us to repent, to turn to Christ, to turn to Him, to trust in Him, to put our faith completely in Him. That was it. And that he would work in me and through me for his good pleasure. Both to work and to will, he would strive within me that I would walk in a manner pleasing to him. It's not about my list. It's about Christ. That Christ would be on the forefront of our minds. That he would be the one we would desire to pursue. That he is the one that paid the price. He is the one that has done everything. Might we be a people who rejoice in that? And today, church, is a glorious day to do that because we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper together. That today, instead of saying, man, I've come up short here, or I haven't done enough of that, or man, where's on my list? Have I done enough? That today we would come before him and say, God, search me, know me. Is there any wicked way in me that I might confess that to you? 
knowing that when I confess my sins, that you are a God who will forgive me my sins, that you will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's not about our performance. But God has put us on a pursuit of him. If God has radically changed us from the inside out, now our pursuit is to glorify him. Our aim is to please him at all times. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Father, I ask that you would once again forgive those of us who have been guilty of of adding anything to the finished work of the cross. Father, that we would see this morning that legalism needs to be put to death, that we need to rejoice in your grace, that we need to live by your grace, that we need to pursue you by your grace, that faith needs to be the engine that drives us to obedience, not a checklist. Father, would you crush any self-righteousness that still remains in us? We're trying to tout ourselves as something better, something more holy. And God, remind us now that we are needy recipients of your grace, that all of us are in the same boat, that we're all at the same level, that, God, you have poured out your grace. Father, I pray for anybody in this room today that may know, have the head knowledge of what Christ has done by giving himself on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, from rising from the dead to conquer sin and death, but never have turned to him in genuine faith, that today your spirit would draw them in repentance and faith. Father, for the rest of us, that we would be a people who would rejoice, rejoice in your grace, rejoice in what Christ has done, that we would enjoy you and glorify you the rest of our days. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.